So we are in a text today that we actually uh, had to go back and do a little digging through history. Two years ago, we were in the same text in a different gospel. Uh, we walked through the gospel of Mark about two years ago, and I realized that many of you weren't here with us in those early days. We were meeting in the library, and that was just a really a, a great uh, series for us to walk through, uh, just walking through the gospel of Mark. And one of the things that is helpful for us today is two years ago what we learned about Mark is that he was a little bit ADD. He, was, he wasn't paying a lot of attention to details. He just kind of picked those big moments through Jesus' ministry and said, here's who Jesus is. Um, and so this story, as a matter of fact, was, um, was fixed in the chapter 6 of Mark uh, as well. So now we're in chapter 6 of John, and we have the same story. And, and during that time, this, this, what, I, what I tried to do was to do a little bit of comparison um, to... Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6, this story in particular, to see what, what were some of the changes, like what were some of the things that Mark might have said that John didn't say, what were some things that John might have said that Mark didn't say, and uh, it was really, I'm, I don't know if this is me or not, um, can you mute my mic and see that's me? Bear with us. You can turn it back on. Bear with us. Um, so, Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Mark cha uh, John chapter 6, verse 5. I want to read these two verses to you back to back so you can see just a little bit of deviation. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. That same um, statement in John, the way John penned it was, Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may, may eat? So it's important to capture what Mark is saying uh, here to understand. One of the things that we learned during that time, walking through Mark, was that Jesus had just made a revolutionary statement. He's, in, he's inciting a revolution when he says, look at these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. You gotta understand, even in our even in our time today, uh, in our culture, in our context today, when we say shepherd, um, in a, in a Christian context, uh, what we mean by that is leader. Uh, so, so I would consider myself a shepherd over those who come to Soul Community Church. David is a shepherd over those who come to Soul Community Church, um, and so so we're kind of leaders. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He looks and he says, "Look at all these people. They don't have a leader." They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're just wandering and no one's helping them find their way. And they're very, very vulnerable in this moment. And so as he says this, then he goes into this moment and he's inciting a revolution saying, there's no leader here, so I'm going to be the leader. I'm taking over here. That's, that's it. We, with, let me invite you. Uh, well, I'm sorry, we don't have that one on, um, on our website. That was pre-recording days. Um, but... but Read through that story, um, and I would love to kind of help you see what, what I'm talking about there. But as he sees this multitude of people, and as he as he um, as it, as he's provoked to say, "There's no there's no shepherd for these sheep," he's recalling what Ezekiel had already said in the Old Testament in chapter 34. Ezekiel said, "The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds." Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they were there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. 
and I will strengthen the weak, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Jesus is recalling. He's recalling what Ezekiel prophesied about. He said, oh man, look at this. All of the leaders in, in, in Israel are not leading well. They're not leading well at all. They're taking advantage of people. They're, they're standing on the shoulders of people so that they can promote themselves. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're vulnerable. So I'm going to stand in and I'm going to be their leader. I'm taking over. And so as he says this, he's not in a palace. Okay, He's not sitting on a throne. He's sitting in a pasture. He's in a field with people who would presumably be peasants. Poor people. That's where he's at. He said, you know what? I'm not going to take from you. I'm going to give. See, all the other leaders in Israel, they're taking from you. I'm going to give. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give life to you. So in our text today, we see that the people here, we'll get to at the end, they know exactly what's going on. Jesus does this miracle and He feeds them and they pick up on something like, oh man, this dude is uh, more than just like someone who performed a miracle. You're like, this, there's, this guy could possibly be king, right? And so that's what they see, that Jesus is stepping in as king and He's establishing His, his rule. And so let's look at verse 1 here. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. But Jesus had been doing ministry throughout the region, this uh, region of Judea, and this ministry includes uh, miracles and, and healing, right? That's where we just finished up chapter 5, where we saw he healed a guy who had been lame for 38 years. Uh, before that, he was performing miracles. He was doing other types of healing. And so that, that was what it was included in his, in his ministry. And so as he does this, people are starting to get really excited. Right? They're starting to get really jazzed about what's going on. They're like, hey, this dude's something, man. Like, he's awesome. So the crowds begin to build. They begin to, to build up and to, hey, do me a favor, guys. Just pull the fader down and see if that fixes anything. Not the names, just mine. Not, just mine. Okay, it's not me. I'm not sure what it is. It's not me. Um, but it's really bothering um, Really bad. So these crowds want to, they want to come, they want to see who Jesus is. Um, they're really, really interested in what Jesus is doing. Okay, so we got track with me on that. They're really interested in what he's doing. Um, just turn it off. Hey guys, just give it. <laughs> Everybody in nose out of mouth. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so they're, they're here. They want to see Jesus. They want to, they want to hear about Jesus. They want to see what He's doing. Um, they're, they're interested in those things. Right? They're interested in what Jesus is doing. They're interested in what He's saying. They're, they're intrigued by His ministry. Right? Because like He's gaining the attention of a lot of people. But they're not really interested in who He is. Right? They keep following because they're like, what's He going to do next? What's He going to say next? Who's He going to make mad next? Who's He going to heal next? Like, that's what they're interested in. So, hey, Jesus, keep doing the dog and pony show. It's entertaining to us. And we're going to follow you around. We're going to tell everybody about it because it's pretty crazy. We haven't seen anybody do a lot of this before. And so the crowds are beginning to grow because they're interested in this. They, they love what Jesus is, is doing. But they don't really understand who he is. They don't really understand who Jesus is. So what we see here in this text, there's about five thousand men in the crowd. Um, and and with, with a little bit of study and understanding the culture, there's likely somewhere in the neighborhood of eighteen to twenty thousand people when you count the women and children. Uh, John records just the men here. The men were about five thousand in number. And, and so this doesn't include the women and children. That like I said, that puts us around the neighborhood of eighteen. 20,000 given the family structure in that culture in that day that there would be roughly around two kids in the family, a wife and two kids and if they were around with their husbands. That's what we're looking at. So, Jesus, knowing the motivation 
of these selfish people, that they're following him, that they're uh, interested in what he can do for them, how he can entertain them, what he can give them, how he can heal them. Um, knowing their intentions and their motivations, in this text, he still shows compassion. He still shows an uh, unwavering compassion toward them. Like, I know you guys are here for all the wrong reasons, but I'm going to love you anyway. Love you where you are anyway. And that's Jesus' MO throughout the Scripture. So this is encouraging for me. I'm going to tell you that uh, as just an individual who, uh, who gets entrapped in sin often uh, because I am human. Uh, this is encouraging to me because, um, because I'm this guy sometimes. And this is encouraging for me uh, at, for this church, right? Because this is this could be us sometimes that we we chase after Jesus for the things that He can give us or the entertainment that He can provide to us. We're not really understanding who Jesus is. So it's, let's use this time as an encouragement. And so here's, here's why I say this: um, for whatever reason, God's doing something special in this church. Uh, I've said that before, and, and I just. I look around and I have conversations with people and I think God's doing something really, really neat here, really special. Uh, and people are being added to our number. Uh, that's, that, that's not our main indicator. As you know, like we don't try to count and do all the other things. We're kind of anti-numerical to a sense, but we, we do care about every individual person. So, so don't discount that. So I see God like added to our number. Um, in this family, and this growth it isn't really because we're doing something like awesome. It's not like we're doing anything great or wondrous, right? That's not why I believe God is doing something special in this church family. I think God's doing something special in this church family because of what Jesus is doing in each individual person, right? Like Jesus has done something in my life. And, and the more time I spend with my friends who, who may or may not be familiar with who Jesus is, they start picking up on some things that Jesus might be doing in my life. And so I believe that's very special that on an individual level, I think God is doing something special in this church, in you specifically, and in me. And so this, again, I think it's because uh, it's, it's individually, uh, our, our friends, our family, people we're acquainted with, people we work with, those are God's, God's doing something in their life and people are seeing it, right? Um, so Jesus is getting the attention of our friends through what He's doing in our lives. And I think that's a special moment for us. I, I, see, I see most of our growth. I was sharing this with our community group leaders last week that for the first two and a half years or so of our of the life of Sulphur Community Church, um, our growth has come through community groups, which is a wonderful thing. That's exactly what we want to see. Uh, we want to see we want to see people get engaged in small communities uh, of believers, uh, get plugged in there, and then corporately get involved, right? And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing that that's been happening that way. And, and so to my point uh, is that Jesus is doing great things. He's attracting people through His work in our individual lives. But that doesn't mean we're a healthy crowd. Okay, like hear me, that doesn't mean that we're just all healthy. That because the way Jesus is drawing attention to himself through individuals, that we're all healed here as a healthy crowd of people. That we're that we're all kind of right where Jesus wants us to be. Our motivations can be mixed. Like the reason you may be here could be for mixed motivations. That's where it could come from. You might be here because you know exactly who Jesus is. You know exactly that Jesus has done something specific in your life, in your heart, and you've laid your yes down to Him, you've given your life to Him, and you understand that this is this is something part of the Christian life, that we gather together as a family of believers. And so, you, you may be there, but some of you may be here because you're just kind of kicking the tires. Like, my friend said something or did something or I see something change in my friend so I want to see what this is all about. So you, you might have a, a little bit of skepticism as you as you come here. One of the things uh, that we've said for, oh I don't know, about two years now is that our goal 
for everyone that we um, encounter through Soulful Community Church, we want to move them from a consumer to a missionary. Like that's our goal. That's that's our definition of discipleship is moving consumers to missionaries. So what I mean by that is every one of us at some point or another come or get involved in community group or come to Soulful Community Church or whatever you do. You do that because you're looking for something. You're you're shopping. You're a consumer. What does Soulful Community Church have for me? What things do they offer? What ministries do they have? How would they be able to minister to my children? So you see there's this consumer mentality. I'm not saying this in a negative way. Every single one of us do this. And that's okay. Because what we want you to come here, we want you to receive. We want you to receive, but what we want you to receive more than anything is Jesus. We want you to receive Him more than anything else. So whatever neat ministries or community group you're involved in or whatever things that might bring, might uh, encourage you to come here, what we want you to do is have an encounter with Jesus at the end of the day. And so, yes, yeah, show up here as a consumer, right? But we want to move you to missionary. That's the call of every Christian. Okay, so it's not a call for just a Mark and a Cali. Who, if you were here last week, a couple who, who we dearly love and support, and, and, and they're, they're headed out to India for the rest of their life. Like they, they don't have a time frame where I'm, you know, we're going there for two years and then we're going to come home and we'll see what God does with that two years. They're saying we're going to India and we're going among a group of people who've never heard the name of Jesus preached before and we're going to plant a church with that community of people. And if it takes us the rest of our lives, that's what we're willing to do. So, discipleship means we move from consumer. I'm showing up. I'm showing up to, to see what Jesus has for me. And Jesus says, I have life abundantly for you. And when I give that to you, you are commissioned then to go and preach the story of this life to everyone who's never heard it. So we're moving every single believer from consumer to missionary. Even if you're not a believer in this room, we're, we're still moving you toward missionary status. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to get caught up in this movement that Jesus has us caught up in. We want you to be a part of this. We want you to know who Jesus is, not just what He can give you. Not just what He provides. So, many times, um, my motivations are in the wrong place. But let me just say this before we move on any further. I'm so thankful that every one of you are here. I am eternally grateful to God that every single one of you has come here. So I don't want you to hear me say, well, you're coming here for this and we don't want your time here. I'm so grateful that God has brought you here today because whatever it may be, whatever you've come here, I'm praying that Jesus show you compassion today. Whatever your motivations for coming for today. If it's just because you have a friend here or there's this like this girl, she looks really cool and, and I really want to kind of get to know her. That's a real church thing, by the way. Like go to church with a girl. That's a thing. Uh, you know, you're a fool if that's you, but I, I love you and, and Jesus, I want Jesus to, to show you compassion today, right? That's why I want you here. Whatever motivation you might have, because my motivation is in the wrong place a lot of times, and I'm thankful that Jesus showed me compassion for my motivation in the wrong place. Because it happens often. And Jesus is patient, and Jesus is kind, and He's compassionate for my motivation in the wrong place. When I need Jesus for something that, that satisfies me other than Him, something that He can forgive me. So look at verse 5 with Lifting up His eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward Him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he said this to test him, for he knew himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread. Two hundred days wage. Think about how much you would make in two hundred days in our society today. Would, would not be enough for each of them to even get a little, even get a bite. Can't, there's not, we don't even have enough money to go into town to buy enough to feed all of these people. So here's a tip that I'm going to ask you to and encourage you to, to never forget this tip as long as you live. Carry this with you 
the rest of your living long days, anytime that Jesus asks you a question, it's not because He doesn't know the answer. Jesus is not asking you questions and He's not asking Philip, oh, dang, Philip, what are we going to do, man? Like, we don't have food for all these people. Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all, right? He knows man. He knows what's in man. He knows what He's going to do already. So He's asking Philip a question not because He's confused or not because He he doesn't have the answer. He knew exactly what he would do. So when he's asking a question, when Jesus asks a question, when Jesus is asking you a question, he's not looking for an answer. He's wanting to show you your heart. He's wanting to show you what's inside your heart. He's wanting to show Philip what's inside Philip's heart. That's why he's asking these questions. So in this moment, Jesus wants Philip to see that, hey man, Philip, your trust. And it's, it's in all these physical, tangible things. Like that's where your trust is. And it's not, your trust is not in my authority and in my power. Like your trust is in these things that you put your hands on that you can understand with your mind. And you're not putting your trust in my authority and my power, what I can do. Philip's been, he's been rocking with Jesus for a little while now. He's seen what Jesus can do. Like he's seen what Jesus can pull off, right? But he still doesn't trust Jesus fully. He doesn't trust His authority. He doesn't trust His power. And Jesus is asking Him the question so that that can be exposed in Philip's heart. You don't, you don't trust me. You don't trust my authority. And I, just as I was studying, I just contrasted this to chapter 2 where we saw this, this wedding uh, banquet happening in Canaan, right? And the, and the party was just like, it was really kicking. Like it was really getting on. Everybody was showing up. It was getting loud. And the music was rocking. Like it was a party happening. And then all of a sudden, all the alcohol dried up. Like party's over. No more wine. And like, well, we're in trouble. There's fixing to be a huge embarrassment here. There's fixing to be a lot of problems here. And so what does Jesus' mother do? She goes to Jesus because she trusts in His power and she trusts in His authority. She's not saying, oh my God, it, the stores are closed. We're not going to be able to go buy any more wine. Like that's not what she does. She goes to Jesus and she's like, it's time for you to do your thing, man. It's time for you to do this. And Jesus is like, uh, my time is not ready. No, 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 no. Guys, go get the water. Like He's fixing to do this. That's how much trust she had in Jesus. So it's contrasting Philip and, and Mary here, you see what's going on here. She had complete trust in his authority and power. So the reality is, like even that there's this huge crowd, and even eight months worth of worth of salary wouldn't be able to buy every everyone enough food to even get a bite. So question, how many of us are realists like Philip? How many of us are just like, yeah, but there's reality, right? There's there's nearly twenty thousand people. What do you think about twenty thousand people? If they were just walking down the street right now, that's a lot of people to sit on this hill and say, God's about to feed them. Anybody got any food? Like if we had if we're trying to feed 20,000 people right now. So we're, we're really tapped into reality, just like Philip is. Like we're realists like him, like really, like Jesus. Like we're going to say there was 20, 20,000 is another story. Um, and I think that we struggle with this a lot. Jesus is asking this question. Rely on Philip so that he can show Philip what's in Philip's heart. That's what he's doing in this moment. So you may be going through a difficult moment. Like you might be in a place right now where Jesus is pressing on the corner of your life. That you feel pressure, you feel you feel condemnation, maybe even. You you feel anxiety. Like you may feel these areas where Jesus keeps pushing in on your life. Asking you the same question over and over again. He keeps bringing up the same issue over and over again, right? And it's not because he's confused about what's going on in your life. It's not, it's not because Jesus doesn't know what's going on in your life. He's asking you that question to expose something in your heart so that you might see it. Because he sees your heart. He wants you to see what's in your heart. He wants to expose that in your own heart. And so he's being kind. So wherever you're at, feel like, man, there's this weight on me and I don't even feel like God cares. God, I, there's this weight on me that, that I don't feel like God even sees what's going on in my life. God's being very, very kind to you. And that might be that you might have to repent of some things. That's what God's kindness does for us. It leads us to repentance. 
And so you might be packing something around it. Jesus is trying to expose in your heart. He's trying to open that up for you. And it might be something that you need to repent of. It might be something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of. And he's wanting you to see that. He's wanting to show that to you. And so while we were praying about social community church um, before it was ever a thing at all, um, there was a season where I carried that, this vision by myself, like no, like no discussion at all. It was between me and God. Uh, and, and during that time, uh, God kept asking me the question that uh, I guess He continues to ask me today. Uh, are you going to fear God or are you going to fear man? That was a question He was asking me. As I would try to talk myself out of it, as I would try to disqualify myself from answering the call what God wanted to do, that, would be, that was the question He would always bring up. Are you going to fear God or are you going to fear man? So then we step into having conversations with friends, um, with with close friends, with, with church leaders, uh, and as I would get feedback, uh, this feedback would be on all ends of the spectrum. Some people would be like, that's amazing, go for it. Other people would be saying, you're being very selfish. You're being very self-centered. So I had all of that. And then in those moments, God would say, you're going to fear God, or are you going to fear man? You're going to fear what I'm asking you to do, or are you going to fear what man is influencing you to do? So we sat in private meetings, committee meetings, deacon meetings, lunch meetings, church business meetings of all sorts and sizes, fielding questions, getting feedback, trying to explore whether this is actually a call from God to do this. Because that's what we really wanted. So as we would sit in those meetings and, and lunches and all of these things, we cast vision. We cast vision about what we felt like God was calling us to do. We would we would answer the questions and we would share in our hearts. Some of these questions were really tough. Um, some of them were not nice. Some of the comments weren't nice. So we would get both negative and positive responses as we tried to explore. God really had this for us. Like, this was really something God wanted to do. And in those moments, God would say, Are you going to fear me or are you going to fear me? Are you going to fear me? asking me this question today. Continues to ask me this question because even this morning he had to ask me this question. Are you going to fear me or are you going to fear man? How is your life going to be guided? How is your heart going to be guided by fear of me or by fear of man? Because let me just be really, really honest with you right now. I fear man more than I fear God. I fear not having your approval more than fearing God's approval. That's, I'm just being totally honest with you guys about this. And this happens daily for me. That all of my response, like everything I want to step into, it's out of approval, acceptance. I want people to like me. That's what I respond to mostly. Not necessarily what God's saying, what He's calling us to, what He's pressing on in our hearts. So that's, that's why it's necessary for him to ask me this every single day because he can see what's in my heart and he constantly has to show me what's in my heart. He constantly has to say, you know, if you're God, you're going to fear man. He knows the answer. And I know the answer. And he's wanting to show this to me. He's wanting to show my heart to me. So I see what's in there. Expose that. And so... That's the question he asked me. What's the question that he asked me? Like what, is, what, is, what is the question that God continually asks you? Because he knows the answer to it. He knows the answer to the question he's asking you. But do you know the answer to the question? Honestly, do you know the answer to the question God's asking you? That area that he's pressing in on. And so then we run to Andrew. And I love this because we are most like Andrew. Right? A perfect mixture of faith and skepticism. And that's what Andrew had. Look at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So we got something to work with, Jesus. We got, we got some loaves and we got some fish. So there's a speck of faith here, right? You see this, this, this grain of faith. And then he says, 
Oh, but what are they from so many? Like, really? This is five loaves and two fish. It's not going to do anything this crap. Like, nothing at all. But Andrew, like I said, I want to remind you, he's seen some things that Jesus has done. Some pretty miraculous things that Jesus pulled off here. And surely he can see that Jesus would be able to feed this crowd, that, that he could do something. And, and so we see a glimpse of that. It's like, okay, there's this bread, there's this fish. But it's not going to feed everybody. So, so his humanity kicks in for just a second, right? Almost had enough faith to pull something off, and then humanity kicked in and said, yeah, it's not going to work. It's not realistic. So to give you a little bit of context, barley bread was, was the bread of the poor. Uh, it was not the desirable bread. If you went down to the local bakery, that's not what you would pick up to buy. Um, if you were going shopping for bread, it was a very coarse bread. It didn't taste very good. It was hard, stale bread. It was bread for the poor. It wasn't like uh, we keep uh, the King's Hawaiian rolls in our house. Uh, the sweet, yes, it was not that. Not that, but that is good. And then there were only five pieces of this, and then some old nasty pickled fish. Like, and it wasn't like fish, it was probably just like little side cuts, like a side dish almost. So that's what this little boy had, and surrounding them were 20,000 people. And Andrew looks at this subpar bread and this nasty pickled fish. He said, Jesus, here's something you might be able to work with. Here's something you might be able to work with, but, but what is it for so many people? How, will, how in the world will this be this many people? I believe that this is right for itself to be the church is right now. Listen to me, I believe this is exactly where we sit right now. We are a barley loaf and a pickled fish kind of church. If I can, if I can say it like that. We are surrounded. That's what we have. And we are surrounded by a multitude of need. A multitude of need. That's who we are. There's no possible way. Listen, there's no possible way that we can meet every need. No possible way. Jesus is the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can do that. Our little fledgling church family, um, just so you know, are surrounded by under-resourced, marginalized people. We are in the most under-resourced and the most marginalized part of our city. We're right in the heart of it right now. And we're here on purpose. We're here on purpose. It's just not where, well, this is just where we was able to find a place to be. This is where God has led us. To the place where Jesus, I feel like, is needed most. Not that he's not needed anywhere else in our city, but I think that Jesus is most absent in this part of our city. And that's why we've come. That's why we're here. So, whatever your motivations are for being here, I want to tell you why we are here. Why we exist in this part of this city. And just so you know, just to make it, if you're a realist like, like Philip and like me, um, this, this community, in, in this community, there are people who are very, very far from Jesus and likely some who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Don't take it for granted just because we live in the Bible Belt and everyone's heard the name of Jesus. Because it's very, very likely that there are some in this community who haven't heard the gospel. Very, very likely. We are surrounded by an ocean of needs. And I hope you saw that as you drove through the community to get here. I hope you see the needs that are here. So good question. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, what are we supposed to do? We're here, but we're so small. Right? Like, we're so weak. We, we don't barely scratch the surface. I mean, listen, there's just in, in North Sulphur City limits, there are around 4,000 people. And just in these few concentrated blocks where we meet, there are 1,377 people with a median household income of $10,321. Does that not seem unreal? Like, you think about it, like, that's, 
no way. Those numbers are wrong. I'm telling you, in this immediate few blocks where we're at, are roughly 1,300 people with, a, with an annual household income, median income, 10,000 We were surrounded by an ocean of media. And we're here on purpose. We come here for some purpose. I don't want uh, us to see this as a as us and them. So don't hear me say that, that it's us and it's them. We all have a great need. Every one of us have a great need. I say that so often that we all are needy. We all are in need of grace and mercy from Jesus. Every single one of us. It might not be in our pocketbook, but it might be in our hearts. It might be in our families. It might be at our jobs. Wherever it might be, we are all in great need of grace and mercy of Jesus. So it's not an us, us or them. It's a we. Why we've come here. Why God has, has sent us here. So we have a huge opportunity for redemption and restoration in this community because God has sent us here. And He sent us here with nothing. He's, he sent us here with nothing so that He can do something. So it's not coming out of our own ability and our own power. So I want to do something in that neighborhood and I want to use you as instruments to see my glory shine bright in that community. That's why the sins here. We have this opportunity, but how will we ever change the world if we can't even engage our own community with the gospel? Like, how will we ever change the world? We can't do it right here in our own two square blocks. I mean, don't get me wrong, we are great at engaging physical needs. Great at that. But do we believe that Jesus can do something spiritually in this neighborhood? Do we believe that? Do we preach that to our neighbors? Do we need to hear it most? I struggle with mentality. I'm looking at this small, darling fish, which is us, right? What do we have to offer to Jesus in such a great, such a great multitude around us? And I want for this church to ever even scratch the surface. God, will I ever even scratch the surface of the needs that are so great around us? So I struggle with that Andrew mentality. I've got that much faith, but it's not enough really to make a huge difference. God, I need the faith to make a huge difference. Verse 10, Jesus said, Have the down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and then they had given thanks and distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost, because Jesus doesn't waste anything. Let's, let's keep that in mind. Jesus is not a wasteful person at all. Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing they be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who eat. What a miracle. Just so you know, uh, this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So if you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only miracle that shows up in all of them. So it's that important that they felt like every one of them should capture this moment. It is a, it is a great miracle. Jesus could have done a number of things. Could he not have rained down manna from heaven? Oh, you bet he could have. It's been, it's been done before. He could have, he, that's how he could have fed the multitude. He could have created something from nothing because Jesus can do that. He's done that. Instead, he receives something small and insignificant. Listen to me, church. He receives what we consider small and insignificant and he multiplies it into something great and something effective for the kingdom. So I love that balance that we are a small, fledgling, insignificant, weak group of people that God can take and multiply and do great and effective things for the kingdom. And I'm praying that He does that. 
That's what I want. That's what I want more than anything is for God to just shake things up, multiply this, and turn this community upside down for the kingdom. Use us to do that. This is all we've got. Jesus, this is all we have to give you. Would you do something crazy like that? Would you perform a miracle for us with what we give you? So this is what God does with weak and small people who have weak and small gifts. That's what He does. He has the authority to do it. You see that in Scripture. And it doesn't make good sense. This is how the Gospel is made. Like it doesn't make sense to us. The Gospel is ludicrous. It's You can't fathom the Gospel. If you would have told the most philosophical men in all of history to sit down and develop a plan for the redemption of man, they wouldn't have written the Gospel as the plan. Because the Gospel... We always see that the, the weak are strong with the gospel. That the small are big with the gospel. Like everything's reversed. The foolish are wise. It's all upside down. And that's God's plan. And Jesus has the capacity to sovereignly ordain that rich people be there with wagon loads of food, and He didn't do that. He, he didn't do that either. He's showing us something here in the broken, dysfunctional, small life surrendered to Jesus. That's where it starts. That's what He's showing us. That, that's where it begins. Just like it's impossible for five loaves and two fish to feed about 20,000 people, it is impossible for you to clean up the mess that is in your heart without a miracle of Jesus. He wants us to see this. So, so get this. This was my failure. Okay, before I was a believer, I didn't, I didn't come to know Jesus Christ until I was 23 years old. So up until that point, anytime I heard a, a, a gospel message preached or anything about Jesus, I heard that I was bad and Jesus could make me good, but I could, couldn't understand how that worked. So I felt like the, the, the getting good part had to come on my, my own power and my own will. And so I would say, okay, I'm going to come to Jesus, but i got to I got to rearrange some things in my heart. I've got to sweep the floors. I've got to wipe down the walls because it's, it's pretty messy in there. And so I need to do some things before Jesus can move in. And I would continue to say that over and over. And finally, Jesus ripped the scales from my eyes to see the true gospel. That it's impossible for me to do that. Without a miracle from Jesus, without Jesus doing something in my life, in my heart, making it new, taking out the, the heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh, right? And putting His Spirit in my heart. Causing it to long for and yearn for Him and not for the things that I was seeking after. And so it, it, I had to get to that, that point to where I understood this Gospel. And so what about those of you who realize this Giving your heart to Jesus. Like I know many of you in this room could have somewhat of a similar story, but at the end of the day, you understand the gospel enough to know that Jesus had to do something in my heart. That it wasn't anything that I could do on my own, that He had to do something in my heart. And if, you, if you're that person, then, then what gifts do you have? What do you have to bring to Jesus? Have you been gifted with leadership? Have you been gifted with creativity or the ability to teach? Or have you been gifted with hospitality, compassion, generosity? Have you been gifted with any of these things? What gifts do you have? We need you. No matter how small and insignificant your gift is. We're not okay without you. The church is not okay. No matter how small or insignificant or little or weak you might think your gift is, we're not okay without it. The church is not okay without it. And I promise you, it's enough for Jesus. That your gift is enough for Jesus. I promise you that. That He can, he can take what you can give Him and He can multiply it into something beautiful in this world. I, I believe that with all my heart. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet 
who has come into the world. So it seems like they get it, right? It seems like they get it, but they don't. They don't get it. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew him to the mountain by himself. I'm going to try to wrap this up here. Here's the deal. Rather than seeing Jesus as the Messiah, Rather than seeing Jesus as the king who is ushering in this subversive kingdom, this kingdom that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, it seems like everything's upside down and backwards, that you're taking small and weak and insignificant things and using them to display your power and glory, and you're not using those that are strong and rich and powerful and big. You're not using It's subversive. It doesn't make sense. It's going against everything that we know as a kingdom. So rather than seeing Jesus as the Messiah and seeing that he, that's what kind of kingdom He's bringing in, they see Him as the King who would conquer the Roman Empire, that He would that He would completely destroy the Roman rule and liberate them as part of His earthly kingdom. They were wanting someone earthly to come and to destroy all of those who were against Israel and set up a, a, a new kingdom and a new kingship where Israel wins, where they're on top. And isn't this what we ask of Jesus also? Don't we ask Jesus to do the same thing? Let me remind you, first of all, before I go any further, for the believer in the room, for the one who says, my heart belongs to Jesus, this world is not your home. This, this world is not your home. This country is not your home. This city is not your home. The address where you live is not your home. It's where you reside for a time, but it's not your home. So I want to remind you that because especially in, in our country, especially in our country, we have a gospel that makes Jesus the means to an end. That's what kind of gospel we have. That Jesus is a means to some other end. Right? Well, the reason our nation is so upside down and wicked is because we've taken Jesus out of all the public square. What we're saying is, Jesus, we want our nation to look this way and we will use you to get, get, get there. So, it's not that we want Jesus, it's just we want order. We want things to go our way. And so, Jesus, would you be king enough to get that stuff done for us? We do this. I'm not saying that we're a terrible nation or a bad country or anything like that, but understand that it's not our home. Brother and sister, it's not our home. So we should quit acting like it is and quit holding on to things like it is our home because it's, it's not. So what does Jesus do? He flees from these kinds of people. He, he runs. He gets away from these kinds of people. He you want a different kind of king. You want a king that's going to satisfy all of your worldly needs. That's what kind of king you're looking for? I'm not him. Jesus is not your king if you're looking to him to satisfy earthly pleasures. He's not your king. He's the wrong kind of king. You need a different king. And let me, let me just encourage you. There's no other king that's going to give you that that's a good king. Jesus is a good king. They don't want Jesus. They want what He can give them. And many times, we don't want Jesus. We want what Jesus can give us. We want all the positive things that Jesus can give us. But when it says, you want to come follow Me, you take up your cross and follow Me. You give your life if you want to follow Me. You're going to be hated in this world if you follow Me. Like those are the parts of Jesus we don't want. That you keep away from Me with that. But all of these other things, these worldly treasures and worldly riches, Jesus, if you can give me that, that's what I want. If you can give me power, if you can give me authority over the bad guys, then give us that. Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. He's the end. He's not a means to some other end. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is it. 
is it. He is why. He is for. He is how. He is what. He's all of it. Jesus is it. What we're after, and so we remind you, the king. Jesus is a, is a good king, and he may give you some things to bring about God's glory. He may very well take some things for you to bring about God's glory too. And he's still good. He's, he's still good. His, his kingdom looks all together different. And I'll just close with reading um, a passage over you to kind of show you what Jesus' kingdom is about, what, what kind of king he is. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall bear the Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. How foolish is that? That he's, Jesus is saying, Blessed are you. Happy will you be when you are persecuted, when people speak evil against you, when you are reviled. Rejoice and be glad in it. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what kind of kingdom Jesus brings in. That's what kind of kingdom Jesus is. So why are we following Jesus? Caught up in this crowd. You want to see the next dog and pony show. You want to see what you can get from him. Or you go up close and you know exactly who he is. And regardless if he does all of these other things, he's good. And he's the king. He's the one that God spoke about over and over and over again. My heart belongs to him. My life belongs to him. My agenda, my plans, my calendars, all those things belong to him. 